Welcome to Missionary Roundtable with your host, Kale Horvath. Welcome back to Missionary Roundtable, the podcast all about the Great Commission and international missions. My name is Kale Horvath. I'm a pastor and missionary, and I'm excited to be your host today. Thank you guys for joining us once again this summer as we continue to interview pastors and missionaries about different strategies and perspectives about our roles in the Great Commission and international missions. I'm so excited that you guys could join us again. Uh, I've got a very special guest on the podcast this week, a friend of mine and a friend of our church, our sending church back home in the States. Um, His name is Joseph Hayden. Joseph, thank you so much for joining with us today. Uh, Thank you so much for having us, Kale. Absolutely. Now, Joseph has is has been and currently is a missionary uh, to Zambia in Africa, and he's only been there for about a year and a half. He's still relatively new. I, you know, I say that myself, only being on the field for less than a year. So, you know, uh, everything is relative. But I'm excited to talk to a fellow missionary who. uh, is still in his beginning years of transitioning to the field and learning a new way of life and ministry. Um, very excited to have you on and to talk about Africa missions because that is a whole uh, other side of missions for sure. My my uh, sending pastor, uh, Jeff Bartell, uh, who Joseph knows really well as well because they go back. Um, Joseph is from Alabama. Is that correct? That is correct. Okay, yes. so they they share some similar roots back in the, in their ministry history, um, but Pastor Jeff would always say that uh, not all mission fields are created equal, and that is absolutely true because I'm over here in Europe. And uh, it is not the same as what Joseph uh, deals with in Africa. So I'm excited to talk about that today. But before we begin, Joseph, um, let's let's just talk a little bit. Let's just let the audience get to know you more, and and I'd love to get to know you more as well. So let's just talk about um, before we even get into Africa, anything like that. Let's just go back in time. When did you get saved? Um, what was it like growing up? How did the Lord draw you to Him, and and you finally uh, heard and understood the gospel? Uh, well, uh, delighted to share that with you. I was actually uh, started to church uh, when I was three years old. My dad had gotten saved from a coworker, uh, and we were living in Alabama. Uh, the church was Molten Heights Baptist Church, and uh, so my my parents were faithfully taking us to church on a weekly basis, uh, involved in all the children's ministries, uh, and very thankful for everybody that uh, works with children out there because that's actually where I first heard the gospel. Uh, uh, saw saw some films and and heard some things from the from the word that uh, just really got me to thinking about my own eternity and uh, really got under conviction about sin and and um, the strange thing about it was I, I was only five years old when this happened mm-hmm. and, and you know I really uh, felt compelled that I needed to get saved and I, so I started asking my parents you know how how can I get saved please help me with this and they continually put me off you know thinking I was too young. And, uh, so I'm, I'm a little bit stubborn as, as anyone who knows me could tell you, <laughs> I kind of went around the end and, and, uh, called my Sunday school teacher one Sunday morning and, and told her, you know, I, I really felt like I needed to get saved and could she help me do that? And so that Sunday morning, she sat down with me after class and went through the gospel with me and, uh, made sure I understood clearly. And I received Jesus Christ as my Lord and savior that morning. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that was the change, the beginning of the change in my life. Um, 
you know, at five years old, there wasn't a lot of sand to get out, but, uh, but there was sand there, <laughs> sure. but, uh, but, you know, uh, years after that, uh, many people would, would question my salvation, uh, because of the age. And mm-hmm. so I ended up having a little bit of doubts and got assurance when I was seven, um, as well. But, uh, to this day, uh, I, I can remember exactly where I was, uh, as, as well as sitting here talking with you, Kale. Uh, when I accepted Christ that morning when I was five years old. Uh, sadly, discipleship wasn't a thing in our church at that time. Uh, it, it wasn't a popular thing going then. And uh, so I really never really uh, had somebody pour into my life on a regular basis. My home life was a little shaky. Um, so pretty much scripturally, all I got was what I would get on Sunday mornings. And, uh, you know, very thankful for that. Did learn some things, but never grew in the Lord. And, uh, uh, my parents, uh, they kind of started going different directions. My mom uh, um, really wasn't sold out to the Lord. My dad was. Uh, at the age of 13, they ended up getting divorced. And, uh, of course, that rocked my world. And uh, so I, at that time, you know, my dad was taking us to church every every weekend. We were with him, and we were living with him. And, and then the weekends when we were with my mom, um, we could do whatever. And, uh, she actually, uh, wanted us to prefer to be with her. And so, um, she would let us do whatever we wanted to do and actually condone some behavior that, uh, that we shouldn't have been doing. And so I actually strayed away from the Lord for about, uh, uh, I guess from the age of 13 till 18. Mm -hmm. And just, uh, I was a, I was a very good disciple of Satan instead of the Lord during those years. And uh, sadly, um, and my life was really a mess. Uh, but you know, the good thing, the Lord uh, was faithful. He never, he never left me. He continually convicted me. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, I ended up in the place where I was miserable in my sin. I had everything that a, that a teenager could possibly think they wanted, but, uh, miserable on the inside, just really, I came to a place where it was either, uh, I was going to change my life or I wanted to die and uh, rededicated my life at the age of 18. And uh, God began to uh, make himself real to me uh, shortly thereafter. You mentioned Jeff Bartell, uh, got to know Jeff Bartell uh, probably about two years after that. And he was the one that uh, that really turned me on to the word of God and just uh, helped me to realize that it was a personal relationship with with God, not just knowledge, you know, and um, so that's, that's pretty much, you know, from that point, um, sold out my life to the Lord and just uh, uh, decided that, you know, I was going to live completely for him. And, and so that's, that's kind of my testimony, just, uh, you know, I don't know if there are any specific questions you have about that. But, uh, you know, there were several times during that time of being backslidden, I would kind of come back a little bit and then slide back the other way. But uh, really, uh, really sold out my life to the Lord when I was about 18. So, And did you meet Jeff at Decatur? Uh, yes. I, so after I got saved, um, couple, I guess it was probably about two years later, Jeff came to the area uh, to work for a chemical company and started coming to Decatur Baptist. And uh, we connected there. Um, and he really uh, he really encouraged me to get into the Word and to, to learn to love the Word. And, and he was just, in reality, he would be what I would consider my, first discipler, even though we did not have a discipleship program at Decatur Baptist at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, he did pour his life into me and uh, 
and that was a tremendous influence in my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's awesome. And Decatur is a Decatur Baptist Church in Decatur, Alabama is your sending church as well. So you've uh, basically been there your entire adult life then, I'm I'm assuming. Yes, sir. I've actually been there since I was three years old. Uh, oh, I so thought, oh, was, was, it, was it called Molten Heights before? Yes, that's correct. So, oh, I didn't so know that. years later, yeah, years later, we uh, changed locations in town. And when they changed locations, they changed the name of the church as well. So. Oh, okay. So yeah, you've been there your whole, that's awesome, man. I've been at the same church since I was born too. Very cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was pretty cool. Yeah. That's awesome. So then uh, in your adult life, so you met Jeff and you guys were both going uh, through Bible Institute classes. Yeah. And um, so what, so what was the next step in your, uh, in your journey and your walk with the Lord and just in serving yeah. and growing? Well, so so uh, I know we were going to talk about uh, the deaf ministry a little bit. So mm-hmm. uh, this will be a good segue into that. Uh, really, before I met Jeff, uh, we had a guy come to our church. He's a missionary to the deaf, and uh, um, preached one evening on the on the uh, need for the deaf to hear the gospel from Romans chapter ten, verse fourteen. And uh, you know, how shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? Mm-hmm. And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And uh, during that uh, message, the Lord just uh, really spoke to my heart and said, I want you to do that. And uh, I didn't know what that meant at the time. And uh, But the guy that was there, he uh, stayed for a couple of weeks teaching sign language in the evenings. And so I joined that class and, and uh, learned some basic sign language. And, you know, most of the, uh, this is typical with deaf ministry, but most of the people involved were ladies. Uh, during those classes. And so we, uh, at the end of two weeks, he had gone and visited and gathered uh, a few deaf people to come to church. And we uh, had a class, a Sunday school class. And um, and then the following week, uh, he was going to be gone. Uh, he was leaving. And so they had to find somebody to step up and fill that role as teacher. Um, and I don't know really what they were thinking, but, uh, you know, I, I had two weeks worth of sign language and and probably knew about the same amount of Bible as I knew sign language at that time. <laughs> and, how, uh, how old were you back they, then? Uh, that was I was uh, nineteen at that. Oh, at that, okay. No, yeah. actually, tw- yeah, just just turned twenty, I think okay. actually. But um, you know, and didn't know the language, didn't know the Bible, uh, but because I was the only guy in the class, they decided, okay, you're the teacher, and so. <laughs> Uh, the first week, uh, I did the best I could. There was a lady who helped interpret some, uh, but it, in all reality, it was terrible. <laughs> and then, uh, so that first week, we had about four or five deaf people. I don't remember exactly. But then the second week, uh, we had like two that came back. And uh, and it was probably just as painful for them the second week as it was the first week. And then uh, the third week, uh, we had none. And then the fourth week we had none and, uh, and that was a, a continual pattern. And so that was basically probably got, a huge uh, encouragement to you as well. <laughs> yes. Spiritually, yeah, very, very <laughs> yeah. No, actually, you know, I was, I went through a very strong time of questioning, you know, did I really, was that just emotional or was I, was God really wanting me to do that? And, uh, mm. so basically I just kind of pushed that aside and said, okay, God, you know, just help me to grow, help me to, to find what you want. And, uh, started uh, helping with the third grade boys Sunday school class and uh, really just kind of walked away from the deaf ministry altogether and uh, pretty much learned uh, basics of the Bible by teaching the third grade boys Sunday school class. And so that was pretty cool. That's awesome. Um, you know, then, you know, 
fast forward a couple of years, that's when the Institute started and I got involved with that. That's when I met Jeff. And um, that's also when I took my first mission trip. Uh, we went, uh, had a trip to Belize, Central America. And if I'm not mistaken, I believe that was Jeff's first mission trip as well. And Joe McKegg's first mission trip. Oh, wow. um, so all of us guys were on that trip together. And uh, it was kind of cool how God worked it out. I, I wasn't exactly where I needed to be with the Lord when I left for that trip. Um, but uh, we all, for whatever reason, felt impressed the Lord that we may not return from that trip. And uh, so God used that to just really help me get serious. Mm. And um, and our pastor, uh, God allowed him to get sick on the trip. Mm. Uh, you know, we were, us young guys, we were just supposed to sit back and watch him do everything and learn, you know. Right, right. But, uh, but, but God allowed him to get sick. And uh, so I got to preach for the first time and, and Jeff and, and uh, Brother Joe got to preach for the first time in a foreign context. <laughs> and that was that was an amazing blessing, you know, just uh, the God showing us for the first time that that he could use us <laughs> if we were just available. And uh, so that was my first exposure to missions. And kind of it, it sort of left me a little confused, to be honest with you, because I came back thinking, OK, uh, God wants me to be a missionary. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I had that desire in my heart. And so but but also there's still that you know, the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. And, and God dealt with me about the deaf ministry. So that's still in the back of my mind, but I don't, I don't really know how all that plays out at the time. Mm -hmm. And so rocked on there for a couple of years and God really impressed on my heart to pick the sign language back up. And so I was working at a chemical company on nights. And uh, so I would study my um, sign language while I was doing my, watching my machine there at work. And and uh, God opened up a door for me to take a, another short-term mission trip to uh, Bulgaria, and um, it was it was a tremendous trip. Uh, I didn't really understand at the time why He had me pick up the sign language and impressed on my heart about that trip at the same time. But He did some miraculous things to work it out for me to be on that trip, which we won't get into in this podcast. But I'd be glad to share with you sometime. But uh, but while I was there. Um, I had the opportunity while we were out uh, passing out John and Romans and trying to witness to people. Uh, I met a deaf guy in the streets. And of course I tried to communicate with him and their, their sign language is totally different. Uh, some people have the impression that sign language is the same all over the world, but the truth is, is there are probably almost as many dialects of sign language as there are spoken language. Wow. And uh, so, so anyway, we, we tried to communicate through what I would call mime, just uh, hand gestures, not really sign language. Mm -hmm. And uh, he he made some signs that would make me think that he at least was religious. Uh, not sure if that was true or not, but uh, obviously frustrating because I couldn't really communicate with him. But uh, but God started uh, opening my heart to the fact that okay, it's not deaf missions. I mean, it's not deaf ministry or missions. There's a need for for people to work with the deaf. In, in the missions context. And, and so that was the first time I'd ever really thought about that, you know, and the confusion started to fade a little bit. Uh, hmm. Two days later, we went to a gypsy village uh, that was made up of people from Turkey and uh, had an open air meeting. I said it because I couldn't understand the language anyway. And uh, so all these people are sitting out there listening to the word of God in the, in the Turkish language. And there's these ladies standing up in the back to my left three or four ladies moving around a lot. And finally I look over at them thinking that they're being rude and they're actually signing to each other. And uh, so after 
the meeting. I went over and tried to talk to them, of course, different language. Mm -hmm. So I got the guy who knew the Turkish language and he got a guy who knew sign language. And so we had a, a two-way interpretation going there wow. and just asking them about uh, where they were from and, you know, about if they knew the Lord and different things like that. They were from a village about, uh, I, I think they said it was about, it was something like 10 kilometers. It was very, very close to where we were at. Turgovista was the name of the place. And uh, there was over a thousand deaf people that lived and worked there. Wow. And so God really opened my eyes then and says, you know, I'm like, okay, God, I, I hear you. Uh, when I get back to the U.S., I'm going to start pursuing working with the deaf again. And uh, so, you know, fast forward, got on the plane to head back to the States. And there were uh, at least 25 deaf people in the same section of the airplane with me. And uh, I was like, what in the world is going on, you know? And, and so I was sitting next to a girl who was deaf. She was a Jewish girl, 14 years old. First time I had opportunity to actually witness to a deaf person in, in my American Sign Language. And of course, she didn't believe in God. And uh, she, she didn't get saved. God broke my heart with that. But, uh, you know, just God used that to open my eyes to the need uh, for the deaf around the world. And got home, talked to our pastor and told him, you know, I, I've got to start doing this work with the deaf ministry. And he said, okay, well, you you train up a replacement for the third grade boys and then then uh, you're free to do that. And so so that was roughly about 20, 25 years ago, 26 years ago, we started doing that. Um, worked with the deaf for, for about 25 years. Just in, God, in, uh, in Decatur? Just uh, at your Yes, in Decatur. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, I had a couple of opportunities to, to do some mission work. I'd been back to Belize and actually got to go uh, to Taiwan on a mission trip uh, a few few years later, and that was that was pretty cool because that uh, trip it was strictly focused on deaf missions, hmm. and we were there for what was what's called the Deaf Olympics, and uh, really? so it's basically the Olympics for deaf people. I had no idea it existed. Yeah, yeah. Uh, come to find out, uh, the reason those twenty five people were in the plane with me on that other trip in Bulgaria was they had been to the Deaf Olympics in Bulgaria. Huh. And uh, they were coming home from that. So wow. I had no idea at the time. But uh, but anyway, uh, met, a, met a girl from Hungary that was deaf. She, she won first place in sharpshooting. Oh, wow. Uh, so, yeah, so that was pretty cool. <laughs> Got to awesome. witness to her. And uh, But um, anyway, uh, God, each time I would go on a trip and come home, I'd be like really feel impressed that God wanted us in a, in a foreign missions context. And of course... You can probably identify with this. I know a lot of missionaries can. I would talk to my wife and, you know, she would be like, well, we need to pray about that kind of thing. <laughs> and uh, you know, just really not convinced. And uh, and my pastor, you know, he would always challenge me to finish my education uh, because I didn't have a, a formal education. I went straight out of uh, uh, second year of college into, into the workforce. And uh, so I was a little resistant to that because I doing ministry at church and full-time job, full-time family, you know, it just doing uh, school on top of that was, was a challenge. So I kind of resisted that for a long time, but, uh, but anyway, I always had that burning desire that God had a place for us on the foreign mission field. Hmm. And um, just that really never went away, but uh, he allowed us to work uh, in the U S as missionaries to the deaf for, like I said, for 25 years and saw a lot of, uh, saw God do a lot of great things there. Uh, but uh, the last few years, you know, it was just obvious to both me and my wife that that, that brook was drying up, so to speak, you know, that mm -hmm. uh, the ministry there was was just, it had gone, the people had moved away and 
um, you know, we just were kind of spinning our wheels. And so all we needed to do was just keep doing what the Lord had, had last told us to do. So we kept plugging away and doing that, uh, knowing that he was preparing us for something else. And uh, at that time, my, my dad, Joe Hayden, he was uh, he had retired from the chemical company that I worked for. And he had uh, come to Zambia and had worked here for nine years uh, as an assistant to a missionary. And um, he had continually tried to get us to come over there, uh, to come over here, actually. But, uh, um, you know, my wife wasn't real keen on coming to visit. And I, and I had pretty much decided that I wasn't going on any other mission trips without her because every time God would show me to go and she wasn't there, um, then I would come home and there would be, you know, conflict and division. <laughs> you just and weren't so on the same like, wavelength. You know, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. And so I needed, you know, I needed her to see that as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, she wasn't ready at that time. But uh, uh, in 2015, my dad came back and he was explaining to us um, what God was doing over here um, and how they had just went to a new area, a new chiefdom, and the chief had given them uh, permission to go to 500 villages with the gospel where they had had no gospel. And wow. Uh, you know, we got we got really excited about it. Even my wife, you know, she's listening to it and gets excited about it. And her biggest fear was that uh, she was afraid if she came, uh, she was going to get stuck in the city and not be able to go out to the villages and see the women. And and her burden was, you know, who's teaching the women in those villages? And and it was a a valid point. So she asked him. She said, if you can guarantee me that that you'll take me out to the villages with you guys, then we'll commit to go. And so he he gave her that promise uh, that that he would make sure she got out there with us. We committed to go the following summer. She was a teacher, so we were going to go in the summertime when she had her her break. Mm -hmm. And uh, of course, little did we know, two weeks later, my dad would pass away with a heart attack. And uh, so, you know, obviously a lot of regrets there that I didn't come while he was here and and those type of things. But uh, but God used all that. I mean, all things work together for good, right? Yeah. And um, God uh, used that commitment we had made to him before for us to, we both talked and agreed that commitment was to the Lord. It wasn't just to my dad. Mm-hmm. And uh, so my first trip to Zambia was uh, that fall in November. Uh, my dad would come and bring uh, maize seed for the church planters and pastors to help them. And they had, you know, he had already bought his ticket to come and do that uh, before he passed away. And we learned about that after, after he passed away. And I just felt impressed that, that needed to be fulfilled. And I committed to, to come and do that, you know, just mm-hmm. thinking that, you know, this might be a once off thing. You really didn't know what to expect and, uh, came and, and God just opened up doors and blessed and, uh, got to, got to preach in a lot of different locations, saw a lot of people saved and, uh, just God just burdened my heart for the need here. And, you know, for the, especially those guys that had been working under my dad, um, you know, I said, my dad was an assistant to a missionary and that, missionary had also come off the field at that same time mm-hmm. uh, for, for personal reasons. And I, you know, I was expecting when I went back that fall uh, to be able to go under him and, and learn some things. Well, he wasn't on the field anymore. So, so I was pretty nervous, didn't really have a clue what I was doing, but uh, God blessed and had a friend that lives here in Zambia that took me everywhere I needed to go. And uh, God just uh, opened up the right doors at the right time. And, and uh, so I, I started, uh, started getting the burden that this is where the Lord wanted us. But obviously my wife hadn't been yet. So I'm like, okay, I'm holding off on this thing about, you know, God wants us to go to Zambia until until my wife comes. And so 
So uh, that following summer, uh, we both came and, and God did a tremendous work in our hearts and confirmed in her heart that this was what he wanted as well. And, uh, you know, of course, at that time, she was thinking, you know, we'll go twice a year for a couple, two or three weeks at a time. And, mm-hmm. you know, this will be, you know, a nice little thing to do for summer vacation type thing or whatever. Sure, sure. Uh, not, not realizing that God had bigger plans. But uh, so we did that for a couple of years. And then finally in 2017, uh, God just confirmed in our hearts that this is where he wanted us to plant. Mm-hmm. Um, at this time, you know, I've been at my job for, at that time, it would have been 20 27 years, 28 years, somewhere in that time frame, you know, and so I've been there a long time, uh, have a good job, uh, a great income, you know, and a long way from retirement, though, still. Mm -hmm. And so puts us in a very difficult position, you know, because and so once once it's confirmed to her from the word, as well as me, uh, we we talked to our pastor. Mm -hmm. And of course, you know, uh, his his initial advice was, well, wait till you retire. And so, you know, we just start praying about that. Never could get any peace about that, you know, at all. Um, uh, we really felt confident that God wanted us to 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 do something now while while we had the time to do it. And and God just continually confirmed that through the Word. And and uh, you know, it was a little discouraging, uh, especially being being at the age that I was at. You know, not the typical go as a missionary age, being at the age where I'm having to, to deal with, okay, God, if I'm walking away from this paycheck and I'm walking away from this insurance and mm-hmm. I'm walking away from being able to invest in my 401k, is that really a wise thing to do kind of thing? And, sure. uh, you know, God, sure. made it, yeah, God made it very clear to me that, uh, you know, that, that my faith needed to be in him and, and not in the things of this world. And that, if we would follow him, he would take care of our needs. And and at that point, and, your uh, your so, kids are grown. Um, yes, you know. yeah, both both of our kids were uh, were grown. Now, uh, another I guess another hiccup in there. Both of our kids at that time were away from the Lord mm-hmm. in a pretty bad way. And so, you know, even after we made that commitment, the devil would beat us up fairly regularly with, you know, how can you go and minister to these people in the, on the other side of the world when you you can't even get your own children to follow the Lord, you know, kind of oh, thing. Yeah. Yeah. And the devil would always, you know, he, he kept pricking us with that. And, you know, that was a, you know, that was a tough thing, you know, just uh, all the different things that he would use to try to create doubt, uh, to try to take away what God had shown us in the light mm-hmm. uh, yeah. in the dark times, you know, and uh, especially not getting the, the full support from our leadership that we had expected to get, you know, just kind of a, that, that made us pause, you know, and it, it took a little longer for us to, to make sure that we were doing the right thing than probably some people. But, uh, you know, he confirmed to us very clearly that, that he would have us to go and that he would, he didn't want us to wait. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we began that process and all, you know, all I knew to do is, okay, God is showing me this, my spiritual leadership saying this. Uh, so all I, all I know to do is to obey the last thing that God has shown me to do. And so we, we just started making preparations. Uh, I actually made a commitment to go ahead and go back and finish school. And so I uh, finished a two and a half year program in a year, about wow. about killed myself at, at the age of 50. <laughs> That's not something you want to do. I encourage anybody who's young, get it done while you're young, because uh, working a full-time job and then coming home and sitting, sitting down and doing schoolwork every evening until Ooh. one in the morning is, it's not the way to go. But, uh, 
but God blessed and, and miraculously I graduated and got that piece of paper, you know, whatever that means. And, um, and, uh, so started contacting churches and God opened up doors, um, and just made it possible for us to, to be where we are today through, through a lot of miracles, uh, that he performed, uh, you know, and, and just through a lot of life change, but, um, that's, that's kind of, yeah. kind of went off script, I guess there a little no, bit. That, that's fantastic, man. Um, you, so, so you arrived on the field recently and we'll, we'll get to that in a second. Cause the timing is super interesting, but I want to go back to that, that whole idea that you went to the field later in life. And, um, and I, and I want to talk a little bit about just what, maybe the internal struggle that was for you as far as, um, you know, wrestling and not that I, I don't want to make it sound like you were probably carnal and didn't want to give up the riches of this world. But I just mean, I, I, I know, I understand that struggle of, okay, this is the rea- it, It's just the reality of the situation. We're going to sell everything. We're going to get rid yeah. of everything and we're going to move across the world. And that's just, it doesn't matter if you're carnal or not. There's just a reality to that. What, what was that like working through that? with you and your wife and at, at that later stage in life? Well, initially, you know, the initial decision, it was very exciting because you think, okay, I'm taking this huge step of faith, right? Sure. Adventure time. <laughs> and, and, and it's, right. Yeah. But, but, um, you know, after a short time, reality sets in mm-hmm. and you realize, okay, yeah, I'm taking a step of faith and you start realizing, well, okay, not only am I not going to have this, this paycheck every week that we've kind of gotten used to whether you'd like to say it or not, we've learned to depend on it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, you know, we're supposed to trust in the Lord, but the reality is we trust in our paycheck a lot of times. And Mm -hmm. so that was, that was a tough thing, but uh, really the more difficult thing, I guess, was the, uh, the insurance side of things and, uh, and also the retirement side of things, because not, you know, not being there, I would have had to been at, uh, at the job about, probably 10 to 15 more years before I could retire. Mm -hmm. And of course that was the advice I was being given is to wait till retirement. And my thoughts were, you know, at that time I'm 70 years old. What, what do I have left to give the Lord? Mm -hmm. You know, and I'm not saying I wouldn't have anything left to give the Lord at 70, but you know, when, when I have the opportunity to, to give him what I've got left at 70, my leftovers Mm -hmm. or give him what I have right now, that's really where the, that's really where the challenge came in. And, and the wrestling came in and, you know, it was tough because I know that as a man, I'm supposed to provide for my wife and take care of her. And, uh, you know, I don't want to see her struggle later in life and those kind of things. And, uh, you know, I realized that there's, there's going to be some challenges as far as, uh, retirement goes and those things, if we make that decision at that point in life. And, but my God's bigger than all that. And, uh, yeah, you know, yeah. uh, he can take care of me with or without retirement. And then, you know, I'm not saying be foolish. You know, I think it's mm-hmm. great to have a retirement. Sure, sure. But, um, you know, so we, you know, prayed through it uh, on multiple occasions, uh, you know, and then we would regain our confidence and our faith in what God had said. And then, of course, you know, that would kind of diminish a little bit. So we'd have to, you know, pray through it again, yeah, just yeah. being honest, yeah, you know, yeah. you, there's waves, you know, uh, because Satan comes to you in waves. He's coming to you with that doubt whispering in your ear. Uh, trying to trying to cause you not to do what God's called you to do, uh, and so it was it was a off and on struggle, uh, but you know the Lord just made it very clear to us. You know I mentioned our kids. You know one of the things that was bigger to me probably than the retirement and the paycheck was, 
you know, if I, if I go there, who's going to minister to my kids that are away from the Lord. And, mm. you know, we were here actually on a trip, um, listening to a, a, another missionary preach. And he, he started talking about his family and his grandchildren and, and God just spoke to my heart in that moment and said, you do what I've told you to do and I'll take care of your children hmm. as clear, as clear as I've ever heard anything. And, uh, you know, um, I've hung on to that and, and we left with both of our children. Well, actually our son, he had gotten right with the Lord before we actually left. Yeah. I actually got to um, meet your son, uh, when I was on yeah. deputation with down in Decatur. Uh, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah. And, and, you know, our daughter's still very, very far away from the Lord at that time. And a lot of bitterness from some hurts that had happened in her life early on. And, um, so, you know, just leaving her behind was a huge step of faith and not knowing, you know, would she ever come back? Uh, who would, who would reach out to her? And, but just trusting the promise that God had given us. And the, and the exciting thing is, is just recently through a series of very difficult events, God has brought her back around to a faith in him. And, uh, you know, she still has some growing to do, but, uh, but God has proven himself faithful. Wow. And I, be, I believe that, you know, had we not obeyed, had we not done what he had told us to do, then he, he obviously wouldn't be obligated to do what he said he was going to do. Right. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so very cool to just uh, to see faith work, you know, yeah. to see not on our side, but on, on his side, how God takes our faith and he uses it uh, for our good and his glory. Yeah. And when, and he responds to our stepping out in faith too, which, which I mean, sometimes you don't see as an American or a Westerner until you step out in a radical way like that, like, you know, just moving to the field. But, you know, sometimes we, we think more, or maybe people who um, aren't missionaries yet, or, or just willing to be missionaries, they, they think about the faith to go to the field and that requires a lot, but there's also that, you know, that struggle with the faith to leave, like you just said. So there's, you know, there's a whole lot of stuff surrounding going to the field and a new opportunity, a, a new languages, new this, new that, everything is new and going is difficult, but leaving, there's a lot of things you're leaving behind. There's like you, so you were leaving, you know, grown kids who were struggling and straying from the Lord. And you had to trust God with leaving that, that he would do what he said he was going to do. And, you know, leaving friends and family, leaving, uh, even just your church, maybe, maybe you can relate to this for, with me, a lot of missionaries who leave, maybe they were at a, um, they were at Bible college or they were, they were not being sent out by the church they were raised at, but man, that was really difficult for me. Cause I have been going to the same church since I was born 30 years. And yeah. that was just difficult man, this is my family. This is my hurt. So you, you had the same thing, even just leaving the church that was your family for the, your, the entirety of your life. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It was difficult to leave, you know, uh, people that, you know, for, for lack of a better way of saying it, they were family. Mm -hmm. uh, they were my church family. Um, obviously though, we had a great church and God had prepared us you know, we knew that the, that was the, the step we were supposed to take. We knew that's what we had been mm. prepared for all along, you know, uh, just, I guess, just as a child leaves, leaves his physical family and goes to start their new family. Uh, but yeah, there, you know, there were some difficulties, uh, just, you know, lack of, lack of relationships. Sure. Uh, that's, that's really probably not the right way to say that. You may even want to strike that. I don't know, but it wasn't the lack of relationships, but the lack of, uh, a connection, I guess, is the way to say it, you know, just uh, thankfully we have technology, but the reality is, is even with technology, how often do people, you know, 
use technology to communicate when you're when you're dealing with an eight hour time difference. And yeah, those kind of it's, things. it's difficult. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we, we have had several from our church that that have stayed in contact and, and that's been a blessing. Uh, but you lose a lot of those relationships. Well, it just um, gets and, there's nothing. I know exactly what you mean because we're still very fresh on the field. It, it's just lonely at first. It's and it's not anyone's yeah. fault. It's not, no. you know what I mean? It's, it's not the church's fault. It's not your friends and family's fault. It's not your fault. It's, it's just the reality of the situation is right. it's going to be a little lonely at first, especially when you're just getting started um, with yeah, the new absolutely. ministry, you know? Absolutely. And that's, you know, that's the key is what you're saying. You know, anytime you go somewhere, whether you're talking about physically or whether you're talking about in this situation, uh, somewhere different from where your, your base family lives, well, you're going to have to build a new base, right? And yeah, and that's what right. we saw those first those first you know six months or whatever. You know, we really didn't have a base here, and it was lonely. Uh, thankfully, God has begun to uh, to give us a family on this side of the world, yeah, and uh, you know, we look forward to being with them and seeing them every week and uh, ministering to them. And so that really makes up the difference. And and once that happens, for me anyway, maybe different for others, but for me, once that happened, I don't really miss the the conversations that much from the people back home mm-hmm. because I'm busy with my life here and having conversations here and, you know, and, and I know they're doing the same thing back there. So uh, in that respect, it's, it's difficult at the beginning, but the the fruit that comes later is, is, it's is amazing. It. I mean, yeah. It's, yeah. It's absolutely worth it. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, and, 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 and I, and I really reality, just look up to you, man, in that. Um, so, you know, in your fifties, you know, you're an empty nester, your kids are grown. That's supposed to be, according to our American, you know, dream perspective, <laughs> that's supposed to be the time of life where you're starting to slow down and just enjoy, uh, not, not necessarily retirement, of course, but you know, okay, your kids are grown now things can slow down. I'm just going to enjoy my money and my things and my wife. And we're, you know, you still go to church. That's all good. We're not going to go live carnal lives, but you know, I'm just going to take it easy now. Um, and yeah. man, I just look up to you so much and, and the guys like you who are like, no, 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 I've still got some left in the tank and I'm, you know, we're, yeah. we're going to use this and, uh, and we're going to trust the Lord to use it for his glory, man. That that's awesome to me. Yeah. Well, I thank you for saying that, but, but I would have to say that, uh, that I would look at that completely different from my perspective. Um, and I, I, I know exactly what you mean and I know exactly, uh, how most people in America think, uh, but to me, you know, looking back, uh, I've stepped into the uh, what I would call the abundant life. <laughs> and, you know, all that other stuff that people, you know, I'm not saying that there aren't good things. Obviously, I'd love to spend time with my children, my grandchildren and that type of thing. But, um, you know, going out and, and playing and spending that money on things that are just pleasure that's going to it's going to burn up uh, as compared to man, we're getting to lay up treasures in heaven. Amen. You know, I'm getting to, I'm getting to, to meet people that I would have never met here that I will spend eternity with now. And, you know, it's just, uh, yeah, we get tired because we're old people and, and all that kind of stuff. But, but the reality is, you know, I, I wouldn't have it any other way. Uh, you know, God has, has given us so much by allowing us to do this at this stage of life. And I'm just, I'm just overwhelmed really, uh, you know, because most people think you don't have a lot left to give at this time. Mm. But, uh, and that may be true. I don't have a lot, but I want to give it all. Mm. Amen. And, uh, wow. 
Yeah. And so you, this is really interesting. You told me this before we started recording, but when did you arrive on the field? So we arrived last February. Um, of and, 2020. Uh, so we've been here. Yeah. 2020. We've been here, you know, about a, about a year and a half, pretty close. Mm-hmm. So still pretty new, still a lot of cultural learning to do still, obviously we'll probably be trying to learn the language for the rest of our lives, oh, of course, um, you know, of learning bit by bit. Uh, but uh, thankful for, for what God has taught us. Uh, and, you know, the biggest, the greatest lesson is that one that you talked about before on faith. You know, I lived for, for, you know, 30 years of my Christian life in America thinking that I had faith. And then, mm. uh, man, the I, I know exactly what you're saying, man. You, you think that yeah, you've well, trusted God with stuff, but, but not yeah. until, and, and if anyone's listening, I'm not trying to make it sound like it's like, oh, you don't have faith like us. No, no, no. It's just, you realize in your personal life, like, oh man, until I, until I did this, it's like now every day I'm trusting the Lord right. to, to make this right. thing you happen. Know, there's, <laughs> yeah. There's so many things in America that, that, uh, I, I, for lack of a better word, hinder our faith. We, we have because you can trust in yourself and in your work right. ethic and your exactly. paycheck and yeah yeah absolutely right and that's just part of life it's not not that it's bad or anything like that but it's just I had never been in a position where I had I felt like I had to have faith yeah. like I've had since we moved you know sure and uh, so it's been a it's been an amazing uh, growth process for us as well in that way but. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, yeah, but so you, a year and a half. let's go back to that because that's, that's really interesting. I'm curious what kind of, um, experiences you've had. So you arrived in February of 2020, one month before the world shut down with COVID. It was March (laughs) of 2020. I remember in America, cause I'm on deputation we were at a conference actually in, in the South (laughs) and, uh, it all shut down, man, real big. So what, what was that like in Africa, but also just in your, your, your thinking, you, you get to the field one month, you've been there for four weeks, and then all of a sudden the world shuts down. Unprecedented things are happening. What did, did that rock okay. your faith? Did it, or maybe, maybe in Africa, you didn't, I don't know. How, how, how did, how did it hit you, man? Okay. So for us, it was a little different. Um, the reality of, of COVID and the impact that COVID had on the rest of the world uh, didn't really take place here for a couple of months after it did everywhere else. Okay. Uh, COVID never really got very bad here. I mean, it's, you know, it's bad, but it's not like it has been in other places. So you're just uh, hearing stories in, in March and April from Yes. Now, now there are, obviously there are restrictions that, that came out a little later. So the thing that, that kind of rocked our world, so we got there and then within the first four weeks, they had what they called here uh, ritual killings t- started taking place. Uh, where they would uh, gas people with chemicals and kill them, uh, politically sorry, motivated. What? <laughs> you, yeah, yeah, what they, would, they call here ritual use, killings? Yes, they would. They would uh, take some kind of chemical and throw it in somebody's house at nighttime. Oh my um, goodness! Cause them to to be unconscious, go in and kill them, take their organs, and uh, offer them, you know, in some type of ritualistic uh, pagan way. pagan thing. Yes. Wow. Yes. Oh my goodness. And uh, so, so that started in a really big way when we'd been here about four weeks, and so we were actually <laughs> forget yeah, we, COVID. We were in the, oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> so, so we were in the capital city of Lusaka, and and a lot of it was going on there, 
And huh. our intention was at the end of that month, you know, we were doing paperwork, visas and and work permits and all that kind of stuff, licenses. Mm-hmm. So our intention was at the end of that month to move from Lusaka down to the area where we intended to, to begin working. Well, we ended up getting delayed uh, a month because of the ritual killings. You couldn't travel. They were actually the people were were setting up their own roadblocks. Uh, not this is not government. I mean, the government was doing their thing as well, but but the locals were setting up their own roadblocks and searching people's cars. And and if they thought somebody was involved in this, they would they would just kill them. You know. And oh, so, so this was people was, in response to the killing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, wow. because of the fear, yeah, they were trying to they were trying to seek out those who were who were doing it, you know. And then, so you had the the ritual killing side of it that you were having to deal with, plus the the uh, outcry of the community and their their attempt to deal with it. And so travel was extremely restricted and and dangerous at the time. Uh, so we ended up staying in Lusaka a little longer and. Um, which God used it in a great way, you know, what normally it would have normally taken, uh, you know, four or five months to get our work permits and all that kind of thing. We were actually able to get all that done in a short period of time while we were there. Oh wow! And um, just a lot of different things God put together and, and made happen for us. And then, uh, so immediately after that, which that was still going on, but it had died down quite a bit. Uh, turned out what started as ritual killing, somebody had, uh, taken and, and they were using it politically to try to, to destabilize the government. And uh, so anyway, when, when they found out who was behind that part of it and shut that down, it, it quietened down quite a bit. And so we moved to Livingston down south. It's about seven hours south of Lusaka and uh, started getting set up there. Um, and that's when COVID restrictions hit here. Mm-hmm. So we're talking probably around April when they really started uh, cracking down on, you know, you couldn't meet with over 50 people. You had to have all these washing stations and the masks and all this, all these different restrictions. Uh, don't travel unless, you know, unless you have a valid reason. And uh, any meeting that did have 50 people or more had to have permits and so forth and so on. So basically the churches in the Livingston area where we were living, uh, they had to shut down and they were doing, you know, trying to do, uh, online type meetings, but uh, we had connections with a missionary out in uh, Nyawa, which is another chieftain, a village area, and I had no desire to sit in my house, <laughs> you yeah. know, week in and week out. That's what not what we were here for. And right, you just got really, there, right. Right, and there was no real opportunity, you know, if we could have done language learning there, maybe that would have been a, a good use of time, but that opportunity just wasn't available. Mm-hmm. And so instead, we, uh, we moved... Well, we didn't. We our location, our house was still in Livingston, but we uh, we went and stayed with a missionary couple out in Yawa for several months, and uh, just did ministry out there in the villages, because you know there's no there's no real uh, presence out there of authorities that sure no enforcement of the permits. Yeah. right yeah. So we were able to continue for a couple of months out there doing Bible studies in the villages and then uh, holding services and. So that was a great opportunity for us to just learn, you know, some of the ministry ins and outs in the village. Yeah. And uh, and so that was cool, learning, you know, learning a little bit of language while we were out there. Uh, so we did that for a couple of months and just praying for God to give us clear direction. We we thought maybe God would have us to, to continue to work with that missionary couple 
on a long-term basis, but uh, he used that to, to make that clear that 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 was not where he wanted us, that, uh, that yes, we could partner with them on various occasions and do different things, but he had another work for us. Mm-hmm. And um, so we were still a little unsettled. I had had, in a previous trip, I'd had communication with a church planter that was wanting us to work with him in an area called Colomo. And uh, God had had actually revealed that to me before I had the communication with the church planter that that this area was an area that he might want us to work in. And we didn't know the name of it at the time. Uh, I later learned the name was Colomo and then later made the connection to this church planter that he was asking me to come there. But, uh, you know, so, but we didn't, we had not been able to contact him the whole time we had been here. So, mm-hmm. you know, I was wondering, well, you know, maybe, maybe now's not the time for that, or, you know, maybe, maybe we missed what God wanted. But uh, so we went back to Lusaka to, to buy Sherry a vehicle. Uh, so we'd have a second car. And uh, while we were, while we were there, this church planner finally contacted me. He had lost his phone and lost our contact information. Mm-hmm. A lot of different things had transpired, but he finally had been able to reach me and ask me about uh, coming to the Colomo area and uh, meeting with the chiefs uh, in the in the two chiefdoms that were local there. And so I'm thinking, okay, yeah, sure, we could do that probably next month or something. So I said, okay, sure, when would you like to do that? And he said, well, what about this Thursday? And this is like, you know, Monday. <laughs> and I'm like, well, uh, okay, yeah, we can stop in. We'll stop in and meet with you on, on Thursday and talk about it. And uh, so we did. We were driving back down that following Thursday, met with him, and and God had opened up a door for us to meet the chiefs. They wanted to talk with us and just see what our intentions were. Uh, then the following week, we uh, came back with him and actually sat down with the chiefs of, uh, of both of those chiefdoms, Spatnyana and Sichitema. Um, and both chiefs uh, gave us a, an open door to, to go into all the villages in those chiefdoms with the gospel. Wow. And so within, you know, not knowing what we were going to do uh, from that day to a week later, we, we had an open door into, you know, several hundred villages and uh so we started doing that um coming out um initially uh what we would try to do we held held a meeting with all the the leaders in in one of those chiefdoms in a village uh, all the leaders that would come presented the gospel to them and had several get saved uh explained to them you know what we were coming to do and uh they were excited wanted us to come and start something there in their village. And and so that was the first place we started working. And uh, so every weekend we would travel from Livingston, which was about, it was probably about a two and a half hour trip. Oh, wow. Travel from Livingston up up on Friday. Uh, we would leave Friday morning. And then we would, uh, we would show the Jesus film somewhere in that area on that Friday night. Um, and then we would have some teaching time. Uh, we would camp out there in the village have some teaching time that uh, that Saturday and that Sunday, show the Jesus film another place that Saturday night um, in another location where they hadn't heard. And the Jesus film was basically, it was just an opportunity to, to introduce um, the word of God and to introduce us and, and to give an opportunity to present the, the gospel, the plan of salvation and to, to, to see basically to test the waters, to see if people were open to the gospel. Mm-hmm. And uh, typically we would have, you know, anywhere between 10 to 30 people get saved. Wow. And uh, 
And what we would do is immediately after that meeting, we would set up a time to do a follow-up Bible study the next week uh, with those people and anybody else who was interested. And, uh, you know, a lot of people, they would just come and for the sheer excitement, they've never seen a video before. Wow, so they would yeah. come out, they would they would see and they would hear the noise and want to see what's going on. Sure. And there's foreigners and, here. And yeah, yeah. So exactly. Exactly. Yeah. A ruckus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so it, that was pretty cool. But uh, what was really cool is to see when you would, when you would go back for the follow-up, the Bible studies, you know, we were teaching some very basic discipleship lessons, salvation, eternal security, mm-hmm. um, baptism, the word of God, those type of things. And the first lesson on salvation is, you know, that's obviously where we would go Mm -hmm. to help those who made decisions understand the decision that they'd made. Uh, But also to use it as a bridge for evangelism, because you would have a bunch of people who would come to the Bible study who didn't make a profession of faith. Right. right. And uh, because, you know, if you look at uh, statistics, statistics would probably say Sambi is in the 90 percentile of of Christian uh, evangelical religions. Right. Uh, most people have been reached is what it would say. Right, uh, right. The reality is it's it's probably uh, the flip-flop of that. Uh, the reality mm-hmm. is, is you're, you're probably down for sure below 5% uh, that have actually heard the gospel and, and responded to the gospel. Um, Zambia is a very religious country mm-hmm. and, and everybody here almost is religious and uh, which is, you know, it's good and bad because you've got to, You've got to deal with all those false beliefs and you've got to work through those. Right. It's not hard to start a conversation about spiritual things, No, but there's so the much other place. stuff you have to deal with. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Totally opposite from America. You know, America, I would say is a very religious country, but uh, very difficult sometimes to start those conversations. Yeah. yeah. But here it's exactly the opposite. Uh, they're wide open to the conversations. And instead of getting upset with you, if you don't, think the way they think or believe the way they believe they're very open to, to hear what you believe and mm-hmm. why. And uh, so that, that's been a very refreshing thing. Um, and so, you know, we've seen, you know, literally thousands of people come to Christ who were very religious people already. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the greatest passages of, of scripture for us and leading people to Christ is John chapter three, you know, the mm-hmm. story of Nicodemus, yeah. you know, and they realize you, when you start explaining, they don't know who Nicodemus is. <laughs> Uh, they don't know what a Pharisee is, you know, but when you start explaining to them how religious he was and how good of a person he was, and then they start seeing themselves, you know, in his shoes yeah. and that, uh, that Jesus said he needed to be born again. And then they're like, well, what's this born again thing? And you, and you're able to explain, hey, well, let's explain keep reading. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, so, so that first Bible study in most villages, I mean, you have a, a lot of people get saved. Hmm. And then of course, you know, they go out and tell their friends and their family and yeah. uh, they won't want to hear what this white guy's come to tell them to. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and this is, wow. it's, it's pretty cool. Man, that's but, awesome. Um, it sounds like there's just really fertile soil there in Zambia. And there you know, is. I'm very appreciative for you to to go and and till that soil and be willing. Um, this is probably a great place to start to tie a bow on it. Uh, I do have one more question for you. I've been trying to ask everybody um, who comes on the show, but I think this is a natural segue from what we've been talking about because now we've gotten into the ministry that you're doing now. Um, so you landed on the field, COVID hit. It affected Zambia differently, but certainly, you know, it's it has affected the entire world in some way or another. Um, and man, I, I know that for me and a lot of other Christians and a lot of other guys that we, you know, would be friends with, uh, it's just, um, 
maybe gave us a sense of urgency um, or, or at least yes. uh, like, oh man, maybe, maybe we don't have as much time left as we, we thought. Um, has, has the world events, you know, in the last year and a half or so um, affected your urgency, your strategy, your walk with God in regards to the Great Commission, even maybe, you know, differently than what you had planned to do when you got to the field. I know that, you know, the plan's always the same. Share the gospel, try to find as many people who wants to get saved as we can. But it has, you know, just the shift in world events and, you know, the eschatological ramifications. Has that affected your strategy or your walk with God at all? Well, if I'm being honest, it hasn't really affected affected our strategy very much at all because that's really what led me here at the age that, <laughs> that I came was the urgency, right? Oh, uh, amen. You know, I may not, I may not reach retirement. Uh, the Lord may come back before then. I mean, that's the whole reason we came, you know, mm. what about all the people who would die between now and then? And so we already really had that, uh, that kind of mindset before COVID hit the, the, you know, obviously the, the difficulty in getting out and reaching people that, that came from COVID changed some of our strategy as far as the how to, sure, sure, to get sure. it to them. Of course. Uh, but so far we've been able to, uh, to do uh, pretty much what we had intended to do. One of the things that I've tried to caution myself against, you know, there is the great temptation to, well, let's get out and evangelize everybody we can forget about this. Disciple people to grow in the Lord. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so there is that temptation and I've just had to keep myself in check with that. It's like, you know, we, we don't know when the Lord's coming back. And, mm-hmm. and you know, even if he's coming back tomorrow, that doesn't mean I should be disobedient to the whole Great Commission, Amen. <laughs> you know, Amen. and just focus on one part of it. And uh, so we've tried to keep that balance because we know, you know, however long we have here, mm-hmm. we're not going to reach Zambia. We can't. Sure. But, sure. but the people who we reach and the people who they reach can. Mm-hmm. And uh, if we'll be faithful to, to do that, uh, discipleship and to raise them up and to give them that urgency, mm-hmm. then, then, then we can reach the world for God, Amen. you know? And, uh, so, you know, yeah, there is the temptation to change. Uh, but for the most part, you know, we haven't had to now, you know, occasionally we'll have to get a, a permit that we wouldn't have to normally <laughs> sure. get uh, to be able to have a meeting or whatever. Yeah. But thankfully, since our, our focus is, is rural, it's in the villages there's not near as much oversight there. Sure. Um, and uh, so, you know, we've been blessed to have a lot of freedom and liberty to continue doing what we had intended to do to start with. That's good. Um, and that's a really good perspective too, man. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because I feel like, especially for, for younger guys and, and me included, um, you know, just maybe there's a new sense of urgency or zealousness that, that wasn't there before just because maybe the reality is starting to set in, you know, cause it's really easy. I don't know if you remember, you know, back when you were in your 19, 19 years old, 20 years old, you know, it's, yeah. you want to, you're zealous to do the work of the Lord, but it's not because you actually think your life is going to be over anytime soon or because God could come <laughs> back soon. We say that, you know, God could come right. back soon, but then you have something like this happen all over the world and you're like, Oh, it, it actually could happen really soon. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but I think yeah. that's good that you put that in perspective, that it, it doesn't change. Um, it, it might change our strategy, but it doesn't change what God has called you to do. And so I've even had to, you know, in the last six months since arriving, be like, you know, it. there is a temptation, like you said, like, well, let's just go out and evangelize, forget everything else and just, you know, just share the gospel with as many people as you can. But but it doesn't change what God's asked us to do. And really the biggest thing for me anyway, is that when God does come back, it doesn't matter, 
if I've become fluent in the language, it doesn't matter if I, I mean, ultimately, you know, I, I want to become fluent in the language, but right, it, yeah, it, absolutely. when God comes back, all that matters is, was I, was I being obedient to what he asked me to do that day? And at that point, right, absolutely. And, uh, I think that's a great perspective absolutely. to have, man. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, so on a, on a prayer note, uh, you can pray for us at 53 years of age. Learning a language is, is quite the challenge. Oh, yeah, man. <laughs> so, it's, a, but, it's a challenge for me. So I can imagine it is for you, yeah. too. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. So we'll be so, praying for you and praying for Zambia. Is there any way that people can, uh, you know, get in touch with you or find out more information about the Haydens in Zambia if they'd like? So, so uh, you know, I've got face, Facebook. My wife has Facebook. Um, mine's Joseph Hayden. Hers is Sherry Hayden. Um, email joseph.g.hayden at gmail.com. Uh, I think you probably have my contact information mm -hmm. and, and you're a lot, a lot more well-known than me. So they can contact you and you can share that <laughs> <Hardly>. with them. <laughs> no, that's awesome. But they can find more prayer requests. Can they sign up for like a newsletter or anything from you like that? A absolutely. Uh, we would love to send our newsletter out to anybody who would receive it and who would pray for us. Um, and, you know, just the best way would be to send an email to me and just say, please add me to your newsletter. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and of course we have, you know, we have iPhones, so we have FaceTime, we have uh, WhatsApp, we have, you know, Messenger. Yeah. So there, there are multiple ways of communication. Uh, if anybody would like to talk to us, uh, we'd we'd love to communicate with them and uh, awesome. share anything that, that that they would like to know. We'd we'd be glad to share with them. But uh, very cool. We appreciate uh, what you're doing to to get the stories out there to, to put the, oh, thanks, the thoughts. It's, it's as much as, it's probably more of a blessing for me than even the people listening. Cause I love hearing other people's stories and I love just being able to use a medium to help share those stories with other people to hopefully encourage them. So thanks so much, man. I know you're super busy and I know there's a lot of work being done in Zambia. So thanks for taking an hour out of your day and, uh, and spending some time with us here. Yeah. Thank you so much, Gail. I appreciate you praying for you guys. Thanks, man. Wow. There you go. So much good stuff there. Um, man, so much you could unpack, uh, just wisdom and advice and, uh, from the testimony and stories, uh, of Joseph Hayden. I think one of my favorite parts there was when he was talking about going to the field later in life. And he said, you know, I may not have much left to give, but I want to give all of it. Um, man, uh, that's just convicting. It doesn't matter where you're at in life. doesn't matter how old you are. Uh, or even where you're at in your walk with the Lord, God wants all of us, right? And so um, thanks, Joseph. That was uh, super encouraging and super convicting for me, and I, I hope it was for you as well. I hope you enjoyed listening and learning from Joseph. Um, and man, I, I just pray that uh, that these episodes have been encouraging and edifying and convicting if they need to be uh, this summer. Thank you guys for joining with us. I hope you'll join us again next week when we've got another guest on the show talking about the Great Commission and international missions. Until then, God bless you guys. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Please rate and subscribe and share us on social media. Also, please make sure to check out our other podcast, Theology Roundtable, at theologyroundtable.com.